Not all the time, but enough of the time. All right. So today's topic is um, maybe unexpected, and I told you I was like excited about it. I'm excited in particular because um, the answers I had seen originally were not extremely satisfying. And then as I looked into it more, I found some that were much more satisfying, which is always an exciting feeling, especially when the question's really good, Mm -hmm. and then it bugs you, you know? Um, And then, as that sort of gelled, I started to see how also the first answers were really more, more satisfying than I had originally realized, which is also a nice feeling. It is. Because, you know, there's somebody who's much smarter than me thought this was a good answer, and I'm just, like, not resonating with it. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. I can just let that sit aside. But then sometimes as you learn more or you question more or whatever it is, you come to realize that, no, that's, oh, that's what's so, you know, that answers it. Oh, that's really helpful. Okay. So here is, let me see if I can find a good phrasing of the question. I'm going to use Rabbi Left to phrase the question. And we're still sort of officially like ha- half a foot in Shimona Esrei itself in the first bracha, mm-hmm. but we didn't quite officially start it, and half a foot in halachic principles relating to Shimona Esrei. So this is really a bridge, which is this. There is a halacha in Shulchan Aruch, which says, and he does not quote it here in Hebrew. I know I have come across it many times in Hebrew, but I don't have it in front of me. And the halacha is that any bracha which does not contain shame umalchus. What is shame umalchus? Shame means the name of Hashem, the name, the name of Hashem. Umalchus means the declaration that Hashem is the melech, is the king. So what, how does that show up in our brachos? Baruch atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam. That we don't just say atah, we say the name of Hashem, and we also say Elokeinu Melech HaOlam. Our mighty God is the king of the universe. Any bracha which does not mention Hashem's name and or the fact that God is king is not a bracha. And or? Um, no, not and or. Sorry, you have to have both. You need to have the fact that you have to mention Hashem's name and you have to say that God is the king of the universe. That is the definition of a bracha. If you don't have that, it's not a bracha. The Shulchan Aruch even adds that you have to include the word ha'olam for the bracha to be valid. So it's not enough to say Hashem is king. It's that he's king of the world, king of the universe. Okay. That's a great halacha. That's interesting. But if you look at Shemona Esrei, okay, first of all, it's made up of a series of brachos, which go, they say things like this. Baruch ato Hashem mechaye hamesim. Baruch ato Hashem hakel hakadosh. Baruch atah Hashem, chonein hadaz. They don't say Elokeinu melech haolam. Okay, this turns out not to be such a problem, but it's a beginning. Why is that not such a problem? Because when a bracha is a bracha hasmucha lechevrata, when a bracha is attached to the previous bracha before it, you don't do an opening bracha, you only do a closing bracha. That's typical. That's why they don't all start with Baruch HaTashem and they just close with it. And in fact, we're familiar with that in many places. So for example, Baruch HaTashem HaMachazir Neshamos Lefkarim Meisim. At the end of Elokai Neshama, in the morning blessings, we say, blessed is Hashem, we don't say Elokai Neshamos who returns souls to our bodies every day. Mm-hmm. That's because it follows Asher Yatsar. Asher Yatsar ended with Baruch HaTah Hashem, Rofei Chobasar Mafli Lassas, but it opened with Baruch HaTah Hashem, Elokeinu Melech HaOlam. Asher Yatsar, Es HaDabachachma. So it opened with Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, and the Elokeinu Shama is attached on, and it rides on the previous bracha. Now we've learned in the past, there has to be something in common too. Right? The assumption is that if the bracha is bridging across, that there's something they share. We have it in benching. So... In benching, for example, there's a few examples. We start with Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech Haolam. 
Hazanas ha'olam kulo betuvo bechein bechesed uvrachamim. That bracha ends with Baruch Ata Hashem Hazanes HaKol. So the closing of it, it's called a long bracha. So it opens with the Malchus, the declaration of shame and Malchus, and it ends with just the shame. And then you go into No Delecha, which doesn't open with it, but it's riding on the previous bracha. It's attached to it. And that is the introduction to the Al HaKol, which ends with Baruch Ata Hashem Al Aretz Ve'al HaMazon. And the next bracha, Rachemna, which ends with Uvnei Yerushalayim, also writes on the one before it, which is writing on the one before it, and that's fine. The truth is, in the fourth bracha, we go back to making it independent. Baruch atah Hashem, alokeinu melech haolam, hakel avinu malkeinu adirin. That's okay, too. So it's not actually unusual at all. But it's, how, it's good for us to see that that, was a, that is actually a question. And the answer is because it's bracha hasmucha lechevresa. That the bracha is attached to the one before it, and so it carries its shame and malchus. That would be a great answer, but there's a bigger problem. Because what are they all smucha on? They obviously must all be writing on the first bracha. What's the first bracha of Shona Esrei? Baruch atah Hashem. Elokeinu velokei avoseinu. Elokei Avraham. Elokei Yitzchak velokei Yaakov. It doesn't have Shemu Malchus. Right. This is a crisis. This is like an emergency. <laughs> right? Wait, didn't you have a bracha before this? <laughs> well, there was. Uh, there are those who say that's part of why you have to not interrupt between Goal Yisrael, Baruch Hashem. But even that's difficult because Goal Yisrael is riding on the brachas before Shema. Gal Yisrael is already part of the whole set of brachas before Shema. So that's not problematic per se, but it certainly doesn't fill that hole that the question just uncovered, which was, I mean, come on, Shona Esther is a whole unit. How on earth does did Chazal manage to create a Shemona Esrei without Elokeinu Melech HaOlam? I mean, it's the same Chazal who told us that you have to have Shemu Malchus. It's not because they didn't know. So what was it? I just want to make a little note to myself. Sorry, I'm going to pause this recording. I won't have Rahmanas on you, but I can have Rahmanas on the people listening. Okay, so this question is a really, really, really good question. <laughs> and... I mean, I became aware of this question quite early on in the davening shear and just kept hoping I'd find answers that would like, I mean, you know there must be an answer because this is already like put together in accordance. The whole point of this Shemona Esri is that it's halachic. So like, what is the point then? What, there's something we are missing about the nature of Shemona Esri to help us understand how we could have 18 or 19 brachos that appear to not fulfill the definition of being a bracha. I mean, that is like a ser- Not any one of them? None of them. They all open right, they all blank, open. meaning they open riding on a previous bracha, right. and they all end with Baruch HaToh Hashem, and Noel Kinu Melech None of them. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like once you become aware of this halacha, it... I mean, we really learned, I mean, I saw this originally, right, because we learned about this when we said al Kedim Melech HaLam. So it's like a really long time ago. We learned there's such a concept. It wasn't the time to bring up the question. <laughs> but, but it was nonetheless like a very disturbing question. Okay, so let's look at some of the answers that we do have. Um, and then I, I hope, I would like to today, even though it's already, already now running late, but I'd like to try and cover it as one unit thing in one, in one session if we can Okay, so why doesn't Shemona Esrei begin with Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam? So with all the other brachos, we get it. It's because they're all attached one to the other. And maybe when we look at that more, that will also be eye-opening. In what way then do they attach? They're not just, they're not just separate blocks. They're more like Legos. Each one is also depending on the one before. Okay, that's great. One explanation is... It's samach geula latvila. That's what we just mentioned, right? As an aside, which is you're relying on. Let me just make sure I turned it back on after. We're relying on um, the fact that there's a bracha before baruch atah Hashem goal yisrael, which itself doesn't have shemu malchus and is depending on the brachas before shema. I wasn't so excited about that answer 
There's even a question brought over here about that, which is, what about Mincha? When you daven Mincha, you don't say Shema before Mincha. This answer works great for Shachras and Mairev, but it's not so helpful at Mincha time when it's not there. And the answer is kind of given is, yeah, because it goes according to the, the rove, like the majority of times. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, wait, <laughs> I don't get that. Now, I also get it that any, any explanation, any source that we're going to be looking at, I hope that I'm going to be looking at, is somebody who also can say, I don't know. So if they gave the answer, they can also say, it requires more investigation, and, and they do. Mm-hmm. So it also means that I haven't fully grasped the nature of the answer. And that's part of this note. Maybe we'll try and remember to come back and address this answer more deeply so that we get it that it's actually not an unsatisfying answer. But my reaction at first was like, um, yeah, like, <laughs> that doesn't, that's not like a neat answer because I'm, it turns out because I'm missing too much information. But at least at first glance, that doesn't appear to be a neat answer. If it only applies two out of three times anyway, and it still seems like quite a stretch to take me all the way from before Shema, you know, basically from after Yishtabach, and that that's got to carry me all the way through Shemona Esrei, that's a little bit difficult. We also don't say that a person's not allowed to daven Shemona Esrei without Shema, not only at Mincha, I mean, at Mincha, that's prescribed way, but a woman who doesn't have time to daven so much. There's no halachic reason she can't daven Shemona Esrei without first saying Shema. If she doesn't, if she did, she still gets credit for her Shemona Esrei. We don't say she just made a whole bunch of, we don't say that she just used God's name in vain, because she didn't make a proper brachos. We don't say that. She said, Shmona Esra, you davened, you said your 19 brachos. And they're all counted as brachos. Oh my goodness, we once had a shila. <laughs> this was like one of those days. I think it was maybe a Rosh Chodesh or something. And one person in the family forgot to say um, Yala V'yavo at this point. And another person remembered at another point. And another person forgot Musaf and first I don't know it was like one thing after another and I kept texting Rabbi after with these questions and finally I said I think we win like the Guinness Book of World's Records for most Shmona Esrei said by one family in one day like per person because I mean there was like you gotta say Shmona Esrei over again it was like one of those sorts of days where like half the family was repeating Shmona Esrei very embarrassing it was all me if my kids ever hear this recording it was just me it wasn't only me okay so he said, he, he wrote back, he said, if it's any comfort, you should just know that even the Shemona Esrays that you said, that afterward you had to re-say it, they count toward 100 brachas a day. Now, I'm not normally counting 100 brachas a day. I'm not obligated to. But and it, it was a message. It's saying, you know, they, it's not that they didn't count. They were valid when you were saying them. And they count. They matter. They're not just wasted. They're not. That was like a really helpful insight okay now again like we don't so these brachos count so where is there a lokenu melech haolam right if you thought the end good morning mommy good morning martha if you thought the answer was going to be that well shmon asri is something different it's not brachos it's not true it is brachos and those brachos count and they're part of your hundred brachos a day okay another answer is that since the first bracha is the one they all ride on, and the first bracha is Magain Avraham, and in Avraham's days, people didn't know that there was a Hashem who was the Melech HaOlam. Therefore, like sort of in Avraham terms, you don't need to have Elokeinu Melech HaOlam. What you need to have is Avraham. Now that, that you'll see that, ends up becoming a root. That actually is a very helpful statement, but in and of itself, it's difficult to understand how it solves the halachic issue. Another reason is that if we say Elokei Avraham, Elokei Yitzchak, Ve'elokei Yaakov, and possibly, it's not, sure, it's not clear to me, because different, different commentators, some say just that, or the fact that you said that, plus Hakel Hakadol Hagibor Ve'hanora, Kel Elyon, that those all together cover the ground you needed to cover with Elokeinu Melech HaOlam. That essentially you've said the same thing, you've just said it in different words. This is difficult because we don't really normally say that you can do that. I mean, the fact you said, HaKel, HaGadol, HaGibor, VeHanora, that's adequate. 
And since we have that principle that we don't add praise beyond what Chazal have told us, and Chazal themselves were using the term that Moshe Rabbeinu used, we looked at that Pasuk at the beginning, so they themselves didn't wish to add to what Moshe said. That would be a big presumption, even for Chazal. <laughs> even for the Anshei Knesset Agdola, which includes Nevi'im, they would not care to add to Moshe's language. Right? Because Moshe knows more. So therefore, they relied on that, and they didn't add. That's one answer. Um, that they didn't want to add is a second answer from Yehuda ben Yakar, who I think is the early Kliyakar, not the late Kliyakar. Another answer is that when we say Melech Ozer Umoshia Umagain, that's how we manage to work the Melech in. Okay, it's again, it's a little bit problematic because you don't have Ha'olam. <laughs> So maybe you've got shame and you've got malchus. The Shulchan Aruch said that it wasn't enough to say melech. You had to say melech haulam. But kone hakol maybe, that somehow that answer. It's, a, it's another formulation of a similar answer to the second answer that I mentioned, which was that, that you're covering the ground of melech haulam, but with other words. Okay. But I admit that I found each of these on their own to not not convey enough to me to help me feel that I had an answer that was even close to as strong as the question. Okay, but then I started to find others who help bridge the gap, which is very helpful, especially when they bridge the gap in English, so that you get, I mean, it's a different, you know, you have the power of the language may be less, but they're talking to people like me. Okay, so one is Rabbi Lef. Rabbi Zev Lef has an amazing book on Shmona Esri, called, I think, Shmona Esri. <laughs> I know, that's funny. Okay. And he says, he brings all these same questions, actually. He brings most of these answers. The Rishonim give various answers. It's a continuation of the brachos of Shema. It's a brachos mucha lechevrata. That Mincha doesn't have it, but we go with the Mairav and the Shachris, which echoes a close connection between Shema, the brachos, and Shmona Esrei. Okay. Others say because Melech Ozer, God is the king who helps, mentions Malchus, and these answers are not completely satisfactory because you're missing Ha'olam, it's at the end of the bracha, it's not the beginning of the bracha. These answers are very difficult. It's difficult to understand why they are proposed even as answers, which I think is a healthier attitude than like thinking their answers are no good, are not good enough. Somehow I am going to come up, you know, <laughs> with better answers. But... But Rabbi Lev is also saying, like, you don't see how these... Okay, so what if we look at this? What if we start by saying, why do we have to say Melech HaOlam? Mm -hmm. And why is it not enough to say Melech? Why do we have to say not that God is king, God is king of the world? So he starts by quoting the Kutzker Rebbe. The Kutzker Rebbe is extremely famous for very pithy sayings, for putting things in a way that is so sharp and hits home you know, like, like a needle. <laughs> like he just goes right in there. Mm. The Kotzka Rebbe said about saying Shema, because we know that the mitzvah in Shema, when, especially the beginning of Shema, is Kabbalah's Malchus Shemayim. We are accepting, receiving upon ourselves, seeking to receive upon ourselves Malchus Shemayim, that God is the king of everything. And the Kotzka Rebbe says that in Shema, one must acknowledge God's kingdom above, below, and in all four directions. You remember with Echad, Hashem Echad, and it ends with the big Dalid, and we talked about that visualization of the Aleph, it's all from one source, and then it, it comes down and it, and it surrounds us from all the directions. That's true, the Kotzka Rebbe says, but you have to be careful not to forget to include yourself as subjected to God's kingdom. You understand what the Kutzker Rebbe is saying? He's saying sometimes it's easy to think that God is king over the whole world and to forget he's king over you. <laughs> right? Which is a, a kind of a classic Kutzker teaching. Kutzker Rebbe, by the time he died, had basically no Talmidim. He said, people can't handle the truth. I mean, he said things in a sharp way and he didn't hold it back. That's not so easy. It's great to read in small doses. 
It's not so easy sometimes to take all the time. We're not up to it, right? That is a profound thought, that it's sometimes easier to think God is king of the whole universe than to think he's king of me. All right. So therefore, we have to say Melech HaOlam. The Kutzker is teaching us Melech HaOlam, God is king of the world, of the universe, meaning there's something concrete I'm putting on it. Not just God is king like up there. God is king down here. It has to be concrete. And it has to include myself. And therefore, based on that, it could be we could say, Melech Ozer Umoshia Umagain. Hashem helps, He saves, He protects. Meaning, describing Hashem as a king who is involved with the world and involved with me. This helps us understand that answer. How this actually achieves Melech HaOlam. It's a concretizing, it's an including myself, recognizing that where God is king is over me. It's personal. It's personal and it's also general. Others answer that it's not those words that achieves it, it's hakel hagadol hagibor vehanora. That it's Moshe's words describing Hashem as great and mighty and awesome. That's a substitute for Malchus. Again, because it's Hashem's involvement, his dominion, his power, this is the quintessence of Malchus. Others say that before the time of the Avos, before the time of Avraham, the idea that God was the ruler of the universe was not accepted. So we don't mention it at the beginning. We only mention the Malchus after we've mentioned the Avos. First, we've got to mention the Avos. Then we could talk about people recognizing that Hashem is king. Others say... Just saying Elokei Avraham is Malchus because it is through, through Avraham that it becomes clear that God is the ruler. Now I want to give one more point from Rabbi Lef and then I want to start digging into some of these answers a little more. He says another reason that perhaps we don't have to say Malchus in the bracha of Avos, which is kind of the official name of the first bracha of Shemona Esrei, is an interesting Gemara in Brachos Lamedalad Amud Aleph, which I had not even heard of. I hadn't seen anybody mention this before. And is kind of an awesome thought and worth knowing about, even though we don't, in fact, practice it. The Gemara says, a regular person bows at the beginning of Avos, at the end of Avos, and at the beginning and end of the Bracha of Hoda'a, of gratitude. Right, that's modim, okay. And then there's a closing bow after that. So there are four bows, one at the beginning and end of avos, one at the beginning and end of hoda. which by the way, that alone I had never thought of. I had never thought of them that way. That those four bows are actually pairs, and that, the, well, the first one kind of seemed like a pair, but I never thought of it too much, and the last one I never even noticed was a pair. It didn't occur to me. No, really never occurred to me that it was an opening and closing of the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that it's those two specific ones, Avos and Hoda'a, which are the two brachos that are, if you didn't have kavana in them, maybe you have to, you'd say you didn't say Shemona Esrei. Halacha Lamaisa, we say it's only the first one and maybe not even that, but those are the two. So there's something specific about those two that's really important. Okay? That the bows are the brackets of those two is really interesting. That's what a regular person does. Now the, but the Gemara goes on and says some things that I certainly never heard of before. The Kohen Gadol bows at the beginning and end of every bracha. Mrs. Khan probably knew that because you're married to a Kohen. But the Kohen Gadol bowed at the beginning and end of every bracha? That's like a different Shmonasrei. That's so cool. A Melech the king, like David, Shlomo, the Melech bows throughout the entire Shmona Esrei. A Jewish king has to bow the whole Shmona Esrei. He stays bowed. Apparently, remains bowed because the bowing is a sign of submission and subjugation. And the greater a reason a person has to feel self-sufficient and powerful the more he needs to be able to recognize that he has to submit and that he is not, in fact, all-powerful. It's a sort of an antidote to Gaiva. So back at the time when we 
this was before these other religions sort of took over the... the Presumably they were bowing right on the floor, which would be easier on your legs. So, so the king would have been bowing all the way <laughs> on down, the floor, not yeah. just leaning over like we. Yeah, did. presumably. Okay. The more authority and power one has, the more intensely one has to recognize that his authority and power are God's authority and power, not his own. And that this works, the bowing works on an intellectual level, an emotional level, and a physical level. It affects us on all these different levels at once. Rabbi Waxman says, when you see anybody, you should bow and remember that they're better than you are, at least in one. Yeah, where did I? I just read that. Um, I don't remember where. I just saw that. That everyone that you see. Oh, oh it's Geras HaRamban. Doesn't he say something like that? Yes. In the, in the Ramban's letter? Is that what the Shear was about? Igeris. Yeah, the Igeris HaRamban. Okay. I'll tell you, being in Japan, it's really easy not to have to shake hands with people. <laughs> as soon as you bow, there's no requirement to shake hands anymore. Okay. Um, the Shulchan Aruch also mentions that there was a custom of staying bowed during Shemona Esri of Yomim no Rahim. We do bow down all the way to the floor, but we don't stay down there. Okay. And therefore, the bowing itself is an expression of the shame umalchos. Not of the malchos, not the shame. The shame is there. But the bow is, the, is a mention of malchos. It's just not verbal. Okay. So these, uh, Rabbi Lef, I think, sums up and, and also makes a little bit clearer each of those reasons that we saw before. And they certainly makes them easier to understand why they were reasons at all. Okay. But I want to take a little bit further than that. So piece number one is, piece number two and number one, and possibly number three, are from the Maharal. I saw this in the Maharal Siddur, which is an awesome compilation of his commentary, about bowing down in Shemona Esrei. Yesh l'cholodaski bracha harishona shehini kreis birchas avos asher ha'avos heim hishtalshalos ha'olam. You need to know that the first bracha of Shmona Esrei is called the bracha of the Avos, the forefathers. That the forefathers are, this is a tough word, Hishtalshalus Ha'olam. Hishtalshalus, I think you would call, we would call it unfolding, although that's not the literal definition. It's like, spooling out, maybe, unwinding, mm -hmm. sort of when you have like one of those flat things of paper and you open it up to make like a sukkah decoration and there's this enormous, <coughs> enormous sort of, not chain, but like folded thing packed inside and you can stretch it way out. The avos are hishtalshalus ha'olam. Now that is a, really a Kabbalistic idea that he's saying, difficult to understand. So what is he telling me with that if I haven't already studied Kabbalah, which I haven't, so that's good. But that somehow because of the merit of the forefathers who maybe we could say encapsulate and then catalyze the playing out of the history of the world, I think maybe that's a good way to to hold the hishtalshalus in our mind, that they encapsulate all of it, and then it emerges and becomes fully, not fully grown, but like more materialized. It's the same idea as Maisa Avosim on Lebanon, would be a slice of that hishtalshalus, right? That what happened to the forefathers was a predecessor, it set the pattern for how things would play out for the children. But this is more than that, because this is for the whole world. And therefore, it is, it is fitting that God should provide for the needs of the world in the merit or, or because of the avos. In, right? God is going to provide for that to play out, to play out the life of the avos as the history of the world. God will also support that. And just as he organizes and creates the entire world, Hashem also organizes and creates all that is required to keep it running. A person, and then he quotes from the Gemara in Brachos, a person should always measure himself before davening 
He should assess, am I going to be able to concentrate and have cover? Oh, ouch, right? <laughs> Before you dive in, mm-hmm. hang on. Am I going to be able to have kavana in the bracha of avos? If so, yispalo, he should daven. Im lav al yispalo, and if not, he shouldn't daven till he can. I'll give you a simple example that's maybe less painful is if a person has to go to the bathroom. That's distracting. You're not, if you're going to be able to set that out of your mind, you know, sometimes it's not urgent. So you set that out of your mind until much later, no problem. But if not, then you should first take care of that before you daven. Okay, that's like kind of a, the extreme mundane of the example. I think it means more than that as well, right? Am I going to be able to focus? Is my mind spinning? If it's not, then maybe I need to stop and pull myself together before I go into my Shemona essay. And why is it that, that the Gemara is telling us that the assessment has to be with regard to the bracha of Avos and not any other bracha. He said, it's because of what I just told you, that the power of this bracha is the power of the entire tefillah. The, the, the koach of the bracha of Avos is the koach of the entire tefillah. We're going to come back to this idea a little bit more. Because this bracha, bracha zos nizkar, mentions, refers to shehu yisbarach, elokei Avraham, elokei Yitzchak, velokei Yaakov. That Hashem is the God, the Lord of Avraham, the Lord of Yitzchak, the Lord of Yaakov. And the avos are the hishtal shalos ha'olam. They embody the entire history of the universe. Heim haschala la'olam, uvekoach haschala hu hakol. They are the beginning of the world. And within the beginning, within the seed, is the power of the whole. And specifically of the Jewish people who are the direct descendants of the Avos. Okay. We're starting to come closer, by the way. Having that principle starts to starts to shed light on all the other answers as well. Yeah, on the on this answer and it even sheds light on the other answers. Okay. Another little piece, not so little, being maharal, every word is sort of a hand grenade. Um, where's the beginning of that? I put it in backward. Another piece. Elokei Avraham, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov. Every one of the three Avos merited to something very special and unique. A miyuchades, a special elevation, some special quality. Ki harosh male bifne atzmo. That's why they're Avos. An Av is a father, right? And av means it's from this source that it descends, whatever the quality of the father is. So, you know, he's the father of modern computing or something like that, Lahavdil. We would kind of say that before that, computing wasn't there or modern computing wasn't there. And somehow he initiated something that even though many other people will work on it afterward, you could always attribute that the inspiration or the source or the, the first idea can somehow attribute back to this person. So that would be how we would say that in English, talking about something relatively minor. Okay. He's saying that the word av, which is, of course, Aleph Bays, I mean, how much more at the beginning can you get, is it ha- that is the head of something. It's the beginning. If Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov are each an av, ain't avos elashlosha, there's no one we call avos other than those three, it's not that Yaakov comes from Yitzchak and Yitzchak comes from Avraham. And because they're the first three, we call those three avos. Avraham on his own is an Av. Yitzchak on his own is an Av. And Yaakov on his own is an Av. And that means that each of them in some different and distinct way are an Av. The first one is a Malabif Neatzmo. The second one is a Malabif Neatzmo. And the third one is a Malabif Neatzmo. The second one is not just a variation on the first one. 
The third one is not just a variation on the first and the second ones. The third one is not in contrast to the previous two, but in some way unites them. And that we've heard before, the idea of the chesed and the gvura, or the, the rachamim and the din being united by the teferis, or the emes and Yaakov. But what he's trying to tell us is that that is not just a merging of two existing concepts. That that third, that Yaakov, is unique and on his own a chiddush. He's an av. That, is some, that itself is a completely new concept that uniting of the two. The middle is some kind of new place between two extremes that, that wasn't there before. It's not that the two extremes automatically blend at the center. And therefore, we associate the Midah of Avraham with Chesed, the Midah of Yitzchak is Midah's Hadin, as if they are in contrast to one another. Din always digs down all the way to the end of something, and Chesed doesn't feel the need, so to speak, to get down and, and root out every bit. And Yaakov is emes. Doesn't lean to the right, doesn't lean to the left. Just truth. Okay. So that's one piece. The next piece is Hakel Hagadol Hagibor Vehanora. Hashem, the powerful one, is great, mighty, and awesome. And the Maharal is essentially addressing the question of Nora. Nora is different from Gadol and Gibor. Gadol, we could say, is somehow describing, let's say we're not going to say it's describing God, but it's because that's always risky, but it's at least describing his impact on how he impacts the world. Gadol. Gibor, also, how God impacts the world with Gvura. Nora, Nora is so to speak, an impact on God, that he is awesome. Meaning awesome is not what God does to the world. Awesome is how we react to what we've seen. We feel awe, some combination of maybe terror and love. It's lashon nifal. It's a word that is acting upon God almost, so to speak, that he is, what's the word? Um, that we feel awe about him. Mm-hmm. It's not that he puts awe upon, because Nora is a nif'al. It's an um, acted upon verb, the way that it's conjugated. And he says some of that is, and that's because the person who feels the awe that awe is coming from inside of him. That's, we don't say that God generated the awe upon him. We say that the person felt the awe, maybe as a reaction to what was out there, but it is still coming from inside the person. Why is that? Because Hakobi Dei Shemayim Chutzmiyir Shemayim. Nora, why, why isn't Nora conjugated like Gadol and Gibor so that it was acting upon us if we're talking about God? He says, because Hakobi Dei Shemayim Chutzmiyir Shemayim. Everything is in the hands of God, except Yerushalayim. He doesn't keep that in his hands. He puts that in ours. And therefore, to describe, God, to describe the awe of God is best described as being where the action is by us, and he's receiving, not the other way around. Therefore, Hashem is called by Moshe, and in this bracha, Nora, not miyare, like causing awe upon because that would make it sound like he scares his creations. And that is not, in fact, so. Okay, so now I want to take all those ideas that we have behind us, which are all intriguing and slowly gelling into some kind of form, and see how Rav Schwab approaches this. And then from there, I hope to sum up in a way that will be helpful. Okay. Um, I, he gives an amazing explanation tying it to the brachos of Avraham, but I'm not going to go there right now. The words melech haolam are missing from this bracha, which would apparently place it in non-compliance with the halacha of brachos called bracha she'ein ba'malchos ein a bracha. 
However, he said, despite that it doesn't say Melech HaOlam, it is in full compliance with the requirement of Malchus Hashem. Because we say Elokei Avraham, Elokei Yitzchak, Velokei Yaakov. And that's the Tosfos' answer. We've come across it already. But he says, why? In what way does mentioning Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov fully comply with Elokeinu Melech HaOlam? He says, each of the Avos initiated, now you understand why I brought that, um, why I brought also that Maharal about each of the Avos being an Av on their own. Each of the Avos initiated a new aspect of Malchus Shamayim in the world that was not there before they came. Avraham is the most famous case for us. Because we know that he recognized that there is a God who created the world. And even within his lifetime, he convinced tens of thousands of people to believe in Hashem. That there is a God who created the world. And who's interested in hearing from you even, right? That's a, we know that. He had a yeshiva. The Rambam describes tens of thousands of students. May have been the biggest yeshiva in history. Even, even including now Lakewood. Avram had a bigger yeshiva than that. Eventually, in the final days, in the Yemos HaMashiach, says, Nadive Amim Ne'asafu in Tehillim, the noblemen of the nations will gather and recognize that Hashem is Melech HaOlam. All of that, this universal recognition of Hashem, has its first seed in Avraham. Yes, it's taking thousands of years to fully blossom, but that first seed was planted by Avraham, who recognized that Hashem is the king, that, that Hashem is the king of the universe, that there is a universe that is created by a creator, and he controls it. That's Elokei Avraham, the God of Abraham. In other words, it's the recognition of the God of Abraham, recognizing him. What did Yitzchak bring? Yitzchak I hate to say initiated, but according to the way the Maharal brings it, and even Rav Schwab, you almost have to say it, the recognition of Hashem as his personal melech. That God is king, not just of the universe, God is king of me. And of course, the Akedah is his peak of teaching that lesson to the world. That God has full control over me, and I welcome that. I accept him as my king, and I'm glad for that. He was prepared to give up his life for God at any time. And we talked about this during Shema, also in the introduction to Shema Nasser. Okay, That special awareness that God is my king over me is what Yitzchak teaches into the world. And again, it continues to blossom and unfold. What about Yaakov? With Yaakov, it's va'agadla shemecha. That's the third aspect of Avram's teaching, so to speak. The teaching of Malchus Shamayim as being amongst a people, a family, a nation, a group. It's, <laughs> you hear the echoes of that maharal. I don't know if, if Rav Schwab was inspired in particular by that piece from maharal. I don't know. He doesn't quote him here. But that... Right, you saw how the Maharal talked about how Yaakov merges the two extremes, and yet it's something new. Where Avraham is teaching the world that there's a God who created the whole universe, and Yitzchak is teaching the world that there is a God who created you. He is your Melech. Avraham says he's the universe's Melech, and Yitzchak says he's your personal Melech. And Yaakov is, this is a real something in between. It's a new concept a concept of a people, a concept of a group. It's not the everything. It's not the just me. There is some other new idea that sits somewhere between everybody and me, which is a people. And that God is the king of my people. And that is initiated with Yaakov. Yaakov, who starts the idea of a nation, right, who who goes down with his family to Mitzrayim and yet remains a separate people, a separate family. It's not just where you're located. 
that defines a people. That's unique to Judaism, right? We're the nation with no country, even though we've got a country. We have a country. But whether we are in the country or not, we are a nation. This is something that Yaakov brought in. Therefore, the totality of the concept of Elokeinu, our king, Melech, is the king, Ha'olam, of the entire world. Those words require the teachings of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov to exist. For us to know the idea of Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, that I have a God, and he's my personal God, and he is the God of my people, he is the God of the whole universe, I need the Avos to teach me that in order for me to say it. So until I have Elokei Avraham, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov, I don't know Melech HaOlam. Okay. I want to just point out one more thing before we pull this a little more together. If you look farther in this bracha, we have Vizocher Chaste Avos. He remembers the chesed of the forefathers. Umevi Goel Livne Venehem Lema'an Shmova And he brings a redeemer to the sons of their children for the sake of his name with love. Umevi Goel is present tense. Not Yavi Goel, not he will bring a redeemer. He brings, he is bringing a redeemer now. And we've been saying that for thousands of years. He is bringing a redeemer. This is an expression, and this is a clue to the whole here, and which is why it's in the beginning, that this Geula, this redeemer, this Goel, is an ongoing process and has been all along. This is the unfolding. God remembers the chesed of the avos. The chesed of the avos, it seems, is referring to the fact that they recognized him and taught about him. Each one in their own facet. And because of this, may we go God brings a redeemer. He is bringing him. Step by step by step by step by step. It's a lot of steps. But it's happening. It's a process. Again, this idea that Hashem provides. The avos are the beginning of the world, and God is providing what is needed for that to happen. Okay, so now what I want to do, move this, I don't know, I have two more pieces I want to add into this. One more piece, and then I'll sum it up. This way. Back to Rabbi Leff. Rabbi Leff points out, the basic structure of Shemona Esrei is three parts. This we know. We've learned this. We've seen this. You saw it. I knew, I'm sure you knew it before I ever mentioned it. There are the first three brachos at the beginning. There are the last three brachos at the end. And there were 12. Now there are 13 in the middle. Okay, you remember we've talked a lot about how there were 18, oh, there's really 19, and everything that corresponded to the 18, you find that there's a sort of a 19. Okay, you have that a little bit here. It's interesting. You have the first three brachos, which correspond to the three avos. And if you didn't know it before, you'll notice now that, that that's even indicate, if you hadn't realized it on your own, oh, that's interesting. The first is Magin Avraham. The second bracha is... Mechaye HaMesim, and it's talking about Gevura, the third one. Can you, okay, fine. And if you hadn't noticed it, I think that the Art Scroll Sitter points it out. The first three brachos correspond to Avraham, to Yitzchak, and to Yaakov, even though in the first one we mention Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Okay. The last three brachos also correspond to the Avos. And the middle brachos correspond to the 12 tribes. Now there are 13 but it's no problem because you have Ephraim and Menasha. You always have this ambivalence about 12 tribes versus 13 tribes. So you haven't lost the nature of it by changing the number of brachos. 
which symbolize the individual components of the ongoing development of the Jewish people. So to put it in terms of what we're talking about, you start with the first three brachos, that's Avraham, Avraham Yitzchak Yaakov, Avraham Yitzchak Yaakov, and then it unfolds in 12 different tribes, or 13 different tribes, each one their own role, their own aspect, their own playing out. Oh, it's the children. Maybe go These are the children and the grandchildren and the descendants all playing their role and contributing their little piece to this process. And then you sum up again with Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov with Shlemus. It ends with shalom, right? The last three brachos are very complete. They, they're really an expression of geula. In the last three brachos, you have, okay, the last one is, hamevarech esamo Yisrael shalom, who blesses his nation Israel with peace. The one before that, hatov shimcha ulecha no'elehodos. Your name is good, it's good, and it's pleasant to praise you. It's revealed, it's there, right? And the one before that, that your Shrina is returning to, to Zion. So this is like, this is already the redemption. It's complete. All right. So now, I want to take all this and I want, to, I want to pull it into something that makes one picture that I found to be most helpful of all of these ideas, which once I saw Rav Schwab started to fall into place and yet they weren't quite... Had to set them down. All right. In Bracious. Always. It's gotta be it's gotta be Bracious. It's not Bracious. What is it? Right? It's not a Bracious, it doesn't exist. Okay. So first the Torah says seven days of creation. This is the model. How everything is in those seven days. Everything's in the first day. Everything's in Bracious. Everything's in base. All right. And then we, that ends with Space. So, breathe. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created or as they were created on the day when God made the heavens and the earth, when Hashem Elohim made the heavens and the, the earth and the heavens. In other words, now the Torah is going to introduce us to the toldos, to the unfolding of everything it just told us. There were seven days of creation. We can't begin to fathom what that means, but we do know that those seven days play out into a 7,000-year cycle in the world, right, of humanity. Okay. These are the generations. And the word Behibaram, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth Behibaram, as they were created. Gesundheit. Yeah. I like getting to that cough personally, too. You get to the one that finally works. Behibaram. Why as they were created? What is that? Not only that, but the letter hey is small. So I know, Mrs. Khan, that will be hard for you to see on this page. But behi baram, right? So Rashi explains behi baram. They were created with the letter hey. Okay. Balaturim points out behi baram. That's interesting, because the letters behi baram spell be Avraham. With Avraham, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth in Avraham. All you have to do is move the olive there, and you see it. Like, mm-hmm. okay. On the day when God creates. Asos, it's not even really past tense. On the day when God creates the land and the, the earth and the heavens. Okay. As Balaturim puts it, in the merit of Avraham, the heavens and earth were created. Okay, so that's like one of those statements where, depending on how much you've learned, it's difficult to know what to make of it. I think we've probably covered this ground often enough to have a sense of it. Mm-hmm. Avraham is the one who introduces the world to the idea that God created the heavens and the earth. That's Avraham. He realized it himself, right? The Medrash goes to all this length to describe. He figured that out and then taught it to others. 
It's not that nobody knew it, but nobody taught it. How, why did he have to figure it out? He's descended from shame and aver. Why would he even have to figure it out? It wasn't somehow spreading. Either you knew or you didn't know. He figured it out and he taught it to others. That's Ela Toldos Hashemayim Ha'aretz Behi Baram. That's how they were created. That's why they were created. The world was created in order that people should exist and recognize God as king. When we look at the world, we are meant to recognize God as king. That is our purpose in being able to speak, being able to think. It's the purpose of the world to be that. And we see that when there are descriptions of the, of the ends of days, that is described as a time when Hashem, the earth will be filled with knowledge of God. That everyone will know Hashem Melech, Hashem Molach, Hasham Yimloch Leolam Vaed, right? Ki Hamalchus Shalchahi, that the all the Malchus is really yours, Ula Omeat to all the world. That everyone in the world will recognize this. That purpose, that goal at the end, is what was in mind at the beginning. So if Ma'asebimachshavatrila, right? Like in, in Lachadodi, the end, the final action is reflective of what the initial intention was. The initial intention in the creation of the world is demonstrated by what the goal is at the end of it. So it all began with Bereshis bara Elohim, but you know what? There was another beginning to all that. The toldos, the unfolding, the way that, that finally kicked into gear was only when Avraham came. Because when Avraham came, that, the clock starts ticking. Until Avraham, there were people there were people, and there were people who related to God and have their own, you know, spiritual adventures that are described in the Torah, including many that probably aren't described in the Torah. But we also see sort of almost like false starts, right? You have Adam, and then and you have Noah, and then, right? You have these kind of like, even shame. You have these kind of like almost, and then not quite, and kind, and hevel, and, and then you get to Avraham, and there's a kind of engaging of the gears, that comes of his recognizing Hashem Melech and teaching others. Okay. Now, if we take this piece of knowledge, and now we look at Shemona Esrei, and we see Shemona Esrei unfolds from the bracha of Avos. Can you have kavona in Avos? Okay, you could daven. Not only that, every single bracha is a smucha lechevrita. Every bracha is dependent on the fact that you had an Avos at the beginning. The whole process hangs on the first bracha, which is where we started, but that bracha doesn't have Shem Malchus, right? The whole process hangs on the first bracha. In other words, the whole Shmona Esrei is an unfolding from the knowledge that the Avos knew God and talked about him and taught others. They taught the people around them and they taught their children. God says, I know about Avraham. He will command his children and his household after him. Okay. And that making known, meaning Shmona Esrei is itself a process of making known that Hashem is Melech HaOlam. Because that's what it unfolds out of. It unfolds out of the Avos declaring that Hashem is Melech HaOlam. The process of a Shemona Esrei is a process of unfolding that. It moves from the Avos into the 12 tribes. Perhaps it's possible to say that when I stand and daven Shemona Esrei, I am continuing the work of the Avos. Mm -hmm. I'm actually keeping that going. It's maybe not surprising that I want to con connect that I want to connect Shema to Shmona Esrei where I can because in Shema I recognize Hashem is the Melech which is a good place to be to walk into a Shmona Esrei if I see it that way okay the Bihibaram these are the generations of the heavens and the earth as they were created or how they were created or why they were created I mean the letter Bays, you know they're created for the day when the world recognizes that Hashem Elohim created them. 
they create they are created and exist to make known that he is the melech and the creator the avos start the process and initiate it and when i daven i'm doing my little share because everything we've learned about the ratzon of shmona esrei recognizing trying to see the world as god's ratzon as how he wants the world to be perfected and he wants the world to be in a state of geula and that I have needs and I have things I want and trying to align all that together. All those things we've talked about have to recognize that the end goal, that's that shalom. Ultimately, the ratzon of Hashem in the world could be, if you wanted to sum it all up, it's shalom. Mm-hmm. It's that perfect world where he is recognized as king might help us understand why the short root the short root was the tree of knowledge in other words not just having everything be perfect in Ganeiden but also having a day where Hashem says no you can't eat it and therefore you can't eat it not because it's bad to eat it not because, because in the end Hashem was going to give him the fruit of the tree anyway but just because God said not to that ability to subject oneself, despite what your head says, despite what your heart says, despite what your body says, say God is king. That was the short route. A perfect world where, God, where we recognize God is king. Okay, now we're on the long route. It's a slow, long process, step by step, of God bringing us a redeemer. Because God said, no. Yeah. Yeah. So when I daven Shrona Esrei, I'm trying to take my small step and recognizing that the world is his creation. It's all under his control. That he desires it to be perfect. He desires it to be shalom, recognizably good. It is good, but, but seen as such, experienced as such, which is a world of everyone recognizing Hashem is king. It's also one and the same as a world in which all my needs are fulfilled. It's both, and everyone else's. I mean, the incredible thing about the recognition that Hashem is king is that both things are happening. They're, they're the products of the same process. That the world is perfected by knowing it's God, and the world is perfected, and everyone feels that perfection and has no more need. And that tefillah, vision, truth, desire, realization of Ratzon, of Shemona Esrei, unfolds into my prayer from the Avos and the seed that they began planting. It unfolds in reality in me as a child of Avraham. It unfolds in the world as the Ratzon becomes materialized. That, that is really, in a sense, what Shmona Esrei is. Shmona Esrei is one big unfolding declaration of Shemu Malchus. It, it comes out, if we see what we're doing in a Shmona Esrei, it is a statement of Elokeinu Melech HaOlam. It's not a forced, it's not that we're, we're forced or are we saying it, aren't we saying it, the entire thing is a vision and desire of Elokeinu Melech Olam and a, a putting it into action. It could be that this gives us a little bit of understanding. There's a pasuk right after the Akedah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right after the Akedah. Chafbez Yudgemel and Yudalad. Yudalad is really maybe the more salient. Vayikra Avraham. So the Akedah, right? We said we bind ourselves like Isaac at the Shmona Esrei. I mean, the Shmona Esrei itself is an Akedah, which we said was already at least for Yitzchak, the ultimate Melech HaOlam, and possibly for Avraham. Vayikra Avraham Shem HaMakom Hahu Hashem Yireh. Avraham called the name of that place, the place of the Akedah, the place of the ultimate declaration of Malchus Hashem, the place that is going to be the palace of God, the house of God, the gateway for the prayers, where we are mechaving our hearts. Every time we daven Shmona Esrei, Hashem Yireh, God will see. Asher Yeh Omer Hayom, 
which we say today, of which we say, Hashem Yireh, Bahar Hashem Yireh, on the mountain, God will be seen. One is God's action that he sees, and one is on this mountain, God will be seen. That is the Avodah of Shimon Esrei, isn't it? This, that is like the culmination. If we could get to that with our Shemona Esrei, we would have a perfect Shemona Esrei and the perfect world. We would have God fully seeing us and us fully seeing him. And I think that approaching it this way, it really makes all the answers that the Rishonim gave us have a kind of a context that makes them sit. They really sit. And that's kind of that, that little phrase from the Maharal. Within the power, the power of this bracha, this first bracha of Shmona Esrei, who call Hatfila, is the entirety of the tefillah. So that is the missing malchus. I think that's the point in Shmona Esrei, is, yeah, the malchus is missing. And it's the... Pr- what Shmona Esrei is, is the Mevi Goa Livnevnehem, is the process of revealing the Malchus. That is what Shmona Esrei is. It, it's a bracha because it's missing the Malchus. If you know what I mean, right? Like, that, that is exactly what the Shmona Esrei is expressing. It's expressing that there is need, that there is imperfection because Malchus is missing, and yet... It's also a recognition that Shmona Esrei is part of the process of restoring it. It's the restoration, Shmona Esrei itself is the restoration of the Malchus. Mm-hmm. And that's fully what's expressed from the very beginning down to the end, which I, I think is a very exciting concept and a, a kind of a global and a, something that, that really starts its seed and then plays out and unpacks kind of zoom in on it and see it in closer detail. It wouldn't hurt. I guess that's the concept of the seed that plays out in each one. Yeah, in each one. Okay, thank you. It reminded me of what everything you're saying of what Moshe said to the people when they complained out of Egypt. And the people said, you know, we miss the meat and the food. And he said, no, you don't miss that. You're saying that you, you can't relate to Hashem. Yeah. You're doubting Hashem. Yeah, wow, that's very deep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're, yeah. Wow, thank you. Wow. Do you think the Mashiach is going to come? Yes. Soon? Yes, also. <laughs> Also soon and also yes. Yeah, it does does seem that way, right? You feel that? Do you feel that? Yes. Yes. Everything's happening that he's, that, as I said, would happen just before. Yeah. All we can do is pray and hope. It's a wild ride. Yeah. I'm so looking forward to my next (laughs) Shemones. Baruch Hashem. (laughs) That's the goal, right? Yes.